I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Zach Groton. And we love to watch. We love to watch Superman enact petty revenge. Peter, hey Zach. Hey, hey, how you doing, Aaron? Hey, how you doing, Zach? Good. That you didn't sound that good. That first hey was like was just draped in sadness <laughs> and sorrow. <laughs> hey yeah, guys, back. I'm on vacation, and so okay. I'm I'm sorry for disturbing you. <laughs> Naturally, hey. vacation is a depressing time. All right, sorry, John McClane. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you ruined what you got going here. You're recording yeah. this from some tower in Oklahoma City. Yeah, maybe yeah, that's it's... a bad reference. Actually, yeah. Uh, yeah. So this this is a big milestone for we love to watch. This is our first uh, recurring guest who i think we mentioned even though he this is only a second time on the show uh, he was on episode five uh, where we talked about godzilla um and so but, but we've been mentioning him on so many episodes because he's been doing our artwork um also uh, i think we may tease out episodes too long so we're like in eight weeks uh zach's gonna be back on the show <laughs> and then it just got you know i think i think you're besides our name zach i think your name is the second or the third most mentioned on this podcast. And not to mention, Zach, uh, Zach Groton does our artwork, our lovely artwork for the, uh, the podcast. So I think, I think Aaron did mention I feel I feel like I said I said that, but... <laughs> so Aaron forgot to mention that, so <laughs> okay. let's just mention it again. This also means that we've crossed some sort of threshold where either our show is fun enough that people want to come back, or... We found a sap willing to uh, come into our uh, into our lair once more. It, it can be two things. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll go from oh, you guys have a bunch of recurring guests to these guys ran out of people, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Zach is joining us for uh, for Superman two, the sequel to Superman the movie. the uh, The original was directed by Richard Donner. This one is directed by Richard Donner. And mostly Richard Lester. Um, we'll, we'll definitely get into that. It really is a debacle. And as I found out uh, doing some research, uh, like a debacle that remains to this day because there is no love lost between Richard Donner and Richard Lester. So anyway, so we'll get started with a, with a segment before we start talking about Superman 2. I'm sure there's a lot to talk about. Uh, we're going to start with a seg- uh, segment called... Um, Zach attack, and that is where we just attack Zach and some of his opinions. <laughs> that's that's not that's, that's not the real segment. Um, oh, that would have actually been fun. 
<laughs> well, hold hey, on. We, we, can, we can do a little version of Zack Attack. Now, yeah, you're only going to get attacked by one of us. Right. But And I'll pipe in some, I'll pipe in some Zack Attack related theme music. <laughs> So the one question today on Zack Attack, did you like Dark City? I like the uh, director's cut, but I've never seen the theatrical cut. So it's like, that's the only one I've seen. Uh, I haven't seen it, though, in like six years. And Zack Attack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, well, that was the strangest <laughs> answer we could have gotten. You are officially Zack Attacked. Your answer was the least likely to get Zack Attacked because yeah. you basically said, I didn't see the movie that you watched and I don't have any memory of it. <laughs> No, so actually, actually, my my real segment here is uh, is a little game show between uh, Peter and Zach. I I think we we have kind of kind of three levels of comic book knowledge. I am a complete neophyte. I've tried many times to get into comic books, and just I I think I got there too late, and there I just can't I just can't get into them. Even though I really like them conceptually, and and have tried many times. Uh, Peter is kind of intermediate. He reads some comic books, and I feel like Zach, you're a little bit more advanced. Only, only like recently though. In middle school and high school, I read like a lot of comics from the library. Only recently have I started like getting really full bore into it. Like I, I got Marvel Unlimited recently. Like now I read like ten, eleven comics a day. That's great because so, we're gonna we're gonna be talking specifically about your DC comic knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> in this game, now, Superman is like my favorite hero of all time though okay we're gonna do a quick quiz five questions each so how this game is gonna work is that i'm going to give you a sentence that describes a plot of a superman comic book and you need to answer is that real or is it fake obviously i since i like i mentioned i don't have the greatest knowledge of superman comic books this was a lot of googling of me saying but i do know enough to know that there were a lot of really fucking strange ones especially uh, in the 50s and 60s so um and there absolutely was now my one uh caveat disclaimer is that because i have not read all superman comic books and I know there is a lot of crazy uh, plots. <laughs> There's po- it's possible that something that I say is made up is actually a real one. Because, again, I did not check every Superman comic book against my made up one. So, please, guys, no more emails. All right. Just just stop. <laughs> You're going to break the poor boy. Yeah. I mean, I know sometimes we get stuff wrong, guys. But the emails that you guys send, it's too much. Like, everyone makes mistakes. Have we Have we gotten an email? <laughs> Yet, Peter. No. Okay. <laughs> to, Guys, I, please I send an email, I, <laughs> even if it's I, berating me. I've sent several emails under uh, other names just just to complain. Yeah, you yeah you understand though. If we say that we haven't received any, even if you used a fake name, we we didn't get those. No, I mean I used a, I used a fake name for you. Oh, okay, for our email address. Yeah. Okay, well that makes more sense. So, who wants to start real or fake Superman comic book plot? I want Zach to start. Okay. All right, Zach. Real or fake? Does a Superman comic book feature Superman fighting low-income housing? I'm going to go with yes. It sounds it sounds exactly like something that would have happened in the Silver Age of Superman or in like a Jimmy Olsen Superman's Pal comic. Uh, yep, absolutely. He does fight low-income housing because he believes that that is the biggest cause of juvenile delinquency. Yeah. Very progressive Superman. Yeah. 
Wait, does he, wait, hold on. Does he, like, try and get better economic opportunities for the neighborhood, or does he just punch down people's houses because they're poor? (laughs) Does he physically fight low-income housing? Did he punch down Cabrini Green? Yeah, and he fights juveniles. Yeah, he he destroyed Pruitt Ego, too. Oh, no way. I had no (laughs) idea. All right, Peter. On to you, Zach. 1-0 is your score. Peter, real or fake? Superman plot. Superman has a glass of water, but doesn't want to share it. Uh, fake. Real. Sounded, <laughs> sounded pretty real. What the fuck does that mean? Uh, so there's a whole, apparently, again, j- just from brief descriptions on Google, there's one where Superman is in the desert and Aquaman really wants a drink of water and he will not <laughs> give it to him. Superman sounds like a real dick. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, uh, Zach, you are leading 1-0. Yours, real or fake Superman comic book plot. Superman saves panda bears from eventual extinction. Oh, that's a tough one. Well, here's the thing. If that was real, it would be like the most ridiculous. It'd be like during the era like of the Silver Age. But during the Silver Age, China was a communist nation and all comics were just like anti-communist propaganda. So I'm actually going to go with fake because I don't uh, think during that era. Oh, I already blew it, didn't I? No, you're right. Uh, that's oh, just the most uh, reasoned response we've ever had, I think, for any question on the show. Yeah, that was uh, awesome. Let me look was, like you're like, first, let me put my knowledge of history <laughs> into play. I uh, I was in Trivia Bowl in high school, and I was the MVP. So you don't get to you got to think quick to do that. Did they do a lot of? Is this a made up thing at Trivia Bowl? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. <laughs> yeah, FDR, a lot of real or fake? Yeah. <laughs> Did World War Two happen? Real yeah. or fake? <laughs> All right. Uh, so Zach, using uh, his intellect and uh, years of research, got that one right. <laughs> Uh, Peter, your second question. Superman gives Jimmy Carter a hug and his Superman cape. <laughs> Real? Uh, that is fake. <sighs> I assume. Again. I. That seems like it could have happened. Zach, you are winning 2-1. Zach, real or fake Superman plot? Right. Uh, an issue where Superman gives the entire world a Coke sponsored by the Coke company. I'm going to say real. That is fake. Uh It is 2-1, Peter. You got a chance to make up a point here. Uh, Superman's identity is revealed to the world by a dragon. Real. That is real. Uh, Do you have any more information? Yeah, the the dragon uh, sprays him with fire and burns off his Superman costume, which (laughs) makes people know that he is Superman, which, as far as I could tell, makes no sense because uh, it's actually Clark Kent that has the disguise, not the other way around. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) well, the fire created glasses. Okay. (laughs) That's not Superman's dick. That's Clark Kent's dick. <laughs> no, yeah. It's, it, I mean, again, it's possible that uh, it was revealed because a dragon breathed fire on Clark Kent, but that's not what I saw from my minimal uh, checking. Yeah, it wasn't comprehensive research. All right, 2-2. Two, two. We're, we're either not getting emails or I didn't set up email forwarding correctly. <laughs> okay. Both equally possible. All right, Zach, 2-2. Two, two. Superman abandons crime fighting after a wild night at Studio 54. Mm. I'm going to go with fake. That is fake. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> like, that sounded less like he was happy he got the question right, but that uh, he's happy that that wasn't a plot, like, too far. That's, exact- that's exactly what that was. Okay. <laughs> um, Peter, real or fake, Jimmy Olsen falls in love with Lex Luthor. <laughs> real. Fake. Uh, Zach, you're winning 3-2. to two. 
you have each have one question, right? You can lock up the game right now, Zach. Superman is forced to make porn. Fake. Real. <sighs> it is three to two, Peter. Uh, I should say I, I wrote down nothing for a tiebreaker. So I'm hoping, uh, Peter, that you get this one wrong and we can just give the victory to Zach and move <laughs> on with our lives. But final one, Peter. Real or fake Superman plot for the tie. Superman beats Brainiac in a tap dancing contest. Ooh. Real. Fake. Phew. Oh, my God. <laughs> Soundly defeated again. Yeah. When's the last time you won a game, Peter? I don't know, but... He, uh, well, he beat I think me. I'm going to win the game of who can jump off the bridge <laughs> faster than me. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine if, like, one of us were to come visit your apartment, we'd be like, why are all these pillows just broken apart and stuffing everywhere? And <laughs> Well, didn't he win the game last time I was on? I mean, that was 11 episodes ago, Zach. There's been a lot of failure since then, Zach. Yeah, I, I only think about episodes that I, um, I'm on as being official. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Zach, once again, I don't remember if you won last time. I think you lost. Cause I, I think was, I did. That's right, because I, I engineered the game specifically designed to... To make yeah, sure you didn't difficult. win. So, and also, uh, before we move on to talk <laughs> about Superman 2, Zach has brought a little game that we're going to play. Yes, this game is called Have I Seen It? Impetus behind this game is that I'm constantly telling Aaron and Peter every movie I watch. Probably 90% of the time, Aaron is just baffled that I haven't seen these movies. I, so, in my defense, I'm not doing that thing where, like, someone tells you that you haven't seen a movie. Yeah. And you're like, what? You call yeah. yourself a movie lover? It's yeah, just no. that Zach Zach has explored certain genres. Like, there's nothing left. Like, he has seen, like, in, in Westerns, definitely Japanese movies as a whole. Yeah. Like, there, there are areas of film that Zach has seen more than any other human being that I'm aware of. And then it'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch Reanimator for the first time. And it's like, what <laughs> the fuck? And so my, my point was is that not not that how have you not seen these movies, but that yeah. you're very much an enigma when it comes to I would lose if there were if there was a game show, which I think there's about to be, that's based <laughs> on guessing uh, whether Zach had seen a film or not. I think I would lose. All right. So, Aaron, you go first. Okay. And we'll do uh, we'll do three each. Five is a lot. Have I seen it? The film is Gone with the Wind. I'm going to go with no. You are correct. I have not seen Gone with the Wind. So, uh, no, I'm going to get the next two wrong and look like an asshole. But I think <laughs> I have, in all these conversations, I think I figured out what type of movie Zach has seen and what he hasn't seen. <laughs> you figure, you cracked the code. I think I cracked the code, yeah. Don't, don't, don't spoil it yet. You can say after. Peter, your turn. Have I Do seen it. it? Nightmare on Elm Street 2. No. Incorrect. I have uh... seen it. Um... Aaron, have I seen it? The film is The Sound of Music. Uh, I'm going to go yes. That is correct. And I think you knew this one because I've probably expressed how much I dislike the film. Uh, no, I don't even remember that. I guessed it because I think that you watch a lot of musicals. Uh, maybe. All right, Peter. <laughs> like I said, I think I figured, like, I, not that I would get 100% on this, but I think I have a sense of, like, if you were to list a bunch of subgenres, I'd be like, Zach's seen all those. Zach has seen some of those. Zach right. hasn't seen many of those. Um, let's move on to Peter. So, Aaron now has two points, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't yep. been keeping Zach, very Zach, you hit me sport. right goddamn now. Peter, <laughs> have I seen it? The film is The Motorcycle Diaries. Yes. Incorrect. I have not seen it. 
And that's just because you're a staunch, staunch capitalist and you uh, refuse to see anything by that a fa- awful... Uh, a, f- a fascist, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not just a capitalist. I'm moving back to Aaron. This is question three. Now, technically, I think you have already won, but I'm still going to draw this out. Aaron, have I seen it? The film is Disciples of the 36th Chamber. I mean, obviously, yes, you've seen you've seen that one. Yes, I have. That was an easy one. <laughs> that was a really easy one. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, Peter. let's see. The, the first one in that series is one of my ten favorite movies of all time. Have I seen <laughs> one of the sequels? <laughs> Peter, your final question. And I'll make this worth three points so you can tie it up, and then I won't have a tiebreaker, and that'll be the end of the game. Sounds fair. I like pity pity ties for Peter. That that's now, even more emasculating than losing. <laughs> the, the film is. Have I seen it? The film is Tales from Earthsea. Yes, I have not. Ugh. Wow, <laughs> it's actually the only Ghibli movie I haven't seen. Well, Aaron is our winner. <laughs> so, uh, without further ado, do you guys want to talk about Superman too? Yeah, let's do it. I guess it's my turn for the five-second recap. Five-second recap is other Kryptonians appear. Superman don't like it. Superman lose power. Superman get power. Superman punch. Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so I'll do. Uh, I'll take on the 90 now. This movie picks up pretty much right after the first one with uh, the three criminals from Krypton heading straight towards the Earth in their prison. Um, Superman is resolving a uh, terrorist incident in France at the Eiffel Tower, saves Lois Lane, all that sort of stuff. Sort of like a little cold open almost. Wally's in space. Don't the, the, doesn't the prison get broken through the nuclear device blowing up? Yeah. There's no questions in 90 second recap. <laughs> yeah, well, anyways, the the, devi- the glass that the prison that they're caught in gets uh, blown up by this nuke that is, is being dislodged from the terrorist's uh, grasp. And uh, these uh, space criminals start to enact terror on uh, mankind, first uh, fucking up some astronauts, and then they fuck up some people in Texas, some cops in a small town, and the Marines, and it gradually escalates until they end up at the White House, and they declare themselves, Zod, the leader of them, declares himself president of the world, which we'll get into that later. Uh, While this is all happening, uh, Superman is uh, asleep at his post, uh, trying to get some from Lois Lane. So he's on an assignment with Lois Lane to the romantic Niagara Falls. There's uh, an incident where she essentially figures out that he is Superman. Uh, so they fall in love. They can kind of start revealing things about each other. Uh, as that's happening, Superman pulls out a uh, plot machine where he can walk in, <laughs> get rid of all of his powers, and become a normal human 
because of something that his mom said to him on a video message. He uh, gives up all of his powers for Lois Lane, despite the fact that she didn't ask him for that. Yeah, we're going to talk and about that. <laughs> he gets his ass kicked by a redneck in a bar, and he realizes that being human sucks. Goes gets his powers back. He beats up the criminals, depowers them, captures them. And then at the end of the movie, he uses a new uh, skill that we didn't know that he had before, where he could kiss uh, Lois Lane and revert her memory back. Essentially give her, giving her some sort of a time roofie where she doesn't remember anything. The uh, end. <laughs> yeah, the end. Uh, yeah, that was a pretty good recap. So, um... <laughs> Nine hour recap. <laughs> no, I think it was good. Um, so I, uh, so yeah, so since I think we all have different histories, let's just let's just each take a minute and kind of talk about our history, uh, because with 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 this film and Superman series, uh, because uh, Peter, I don't think we've ever really talked about how weird your history uh, with the Superman series is on an episode that's actually going to air. I'll, I'll start my so my history with this movie is basically I saw the first one a ton of times in elementary school. I don't think I saw Superman 2 for the first time uh, until high school, and I loved it, and I remember thinking at the time that it was as it was one of the few sequels that uh, was as good, if not better, than the original, and I watched it a few times, high school, college, uh, maybe early 20s, and I never thought anything different, um, but it, it has been a little bit since I've seen it. Uh, I, I should also say I watched the Richard Donner cut, which I thought was for the second time, but now I'm pretty positive it was for the first time. Uh, this week as well, and I was watching the Richard Donner cut, and I'm like, man, some of this stuff is just not that great. I did notice some positive changes, but I was like, okay, well, it's good to good to see what they put together. This was interesting. Um, a lot of this stuff is going to get you know fixed in the Superman two that I remember and love. And I gotta say, a lot of the big problems I had with the Richard Donner cut were also in the Lester cut. Not all of them, and we'll talk about that a little bit. I'm a little worried going into this episode because, and I'll just say it off the bat, I still really like this movie. A lot of it still works very well, but my opinion has definitely gone down on it upon this most recent rewatch, and I am worried that all of the stuff that I'm going to want to talk about is all the stuff that I noticed were problems in this movie. So I, <laughs> I, I'm i going to really focus on talking about the stuff that I liked, have always liked for 20-some years. But yeah, this is in no way the equal to Superman movie. Uh, it's still very good. It's one of you know one of the better sequels that you could have gotten. But I definitely had overestimated uh, how good this movie was. And uh, yeah, it is. It's just not up that to that level. Yeah, um, Zach, do you want to kind of go through your history of the series and the character? And, yeah, uh, let us know what you think of this movie overall. I actually didn't see the any of the Superman movies in full until probably college. And that's when I first kind of started getting interested in superheroes that weren't just like Batman and Spider-Man. And I, I, think, I think honestly the thing that got me interested in Superman at all was Bill's monologue from Kill Bill. And I always like, I always loved that scene and that speech. And I thought that's a really interesting take on the character that he's not like a, a guy who puts on a costume to become a superhero. He's a superhero who puts on a costume to become a guy. And I always thought that was a really fascinating, you know, feature of Superman. So I, I, I started getting into the movies. So I, I bought bought the movies and I watched Superman the movie. I just fell in love with it. So then I started getting more into the comics and stuff like that. And I watched Superman 2 shortly after that. I'm a pretty big fan of, of the whole series up through Returns. Even 3 and 4, which have their 
just ludicrous nonsense in them. I think there's still got. I think Christopher Reeve is still kind of amazing. He's fun to watch as Superman or as Clark Kent. No matter what nonsense is going on around him. Superman 2 is actually my favorite of the series, though. Unlike a lot of fans, I prefer the Richard Lester cut. If we might have seen Superman 1 and 2 both as Donner intended, there might be a case made for the Donner, you know, whatever Donner made as Superman 2 to be superior to Richard Lester's cut. But as it stands, Superman 1 isn't even really Donner's cut that I'm aware of. And Superman 2, the, the Donner cut that exists, is really flawed. Yeah, yeah we'll, I mean, we'll, def- we'll definitely talk about yeah. that a little more uh, yeah. later. One one little uh, pedantic point. Yeah. Um, I do think that the Richard Donner cut is – of Superman the movie is his uh, – it, it wasn't his original vision because he did not originally yeah. uh, intend to, okay. to end the movie that way. But it was still his decision to say yeah, – yeah, yeah. Let's take the ending from Superman 2, okay, put it on so the yeah. end of 1, and we'll figure out something for Superman 2 later. Yeah, because you, yeah, you knew what I was talking about. Research, I mean, that's, everyone. That's the, the biggest flaw with 2, the Donner cut of 2, is that it ends in exactly the same way as yep. Superman 1. As he originally intended, Superman 1 wouldn't have ended that way, and that would have been yep. wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get into, uh, even though Peter didn't get a chance to watch it, um, we'll, we'll just get into some basic Donner Lester stuff, because obviously that is the albatross hanging around the neck of this movie in some yeah. respects. So let's jump right into that right after Peter. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with the series and uh, this movie in particular? Yeah, so I was never much of a Superman guy uh, growing up. I'm actually getting, as I get older, I appreciate Superman more um, as a sort of Captain America figure, like someone that you look up to, not necessarily someone you identify with. As I get older, I kind of appreciate Superman more as a, I learn more about his character and what his function could be as a modern character. Is that like the new, uh, if you're not, if you're not a Batman fan in your 20s, you have no heart? Yeah. And if you're not a Superman <laughs> fan in your 30s, you have no brain. Is that the new, uh, <laughs> like, as you get older, Superman is like, oh, yeah, he stands for truth, justice. He's he's fine. Yeah. I mean, where where teenage you is right. like, yeah, Batman's edgy, man. Yeah, because ba- Batman is, is flawed and you can identify with his struggle. It's very easy to identify with the, my parents were killed and now I kill parent killers, like, angle. It's very easy to uh, to identify with. Um, whereas Superman is like so perfect and he he's supposed to be somebody that you look up to as this perfect icon. So he was just always seemed really boring to me without any sort of background on the character. He is a very boring character. But in the past year, thanks to this very podcast. So, yeah, we actually recorded a our first episode. Our trial episode of the show was on uh, Superman Quest for Peace. And we'll, we'll release that at some point. I actually really liked Superman 4 Quest for Peace because uh, it's a canon movie and it has the sort of ludicrousness of a canon movie, but in many ways it has a lot of the charms of these early movies as well. There's something fun about seeing a purely fantastical vision of a superhero movie that like it's kind of fun seeing this fantastical, crazy sort of comic Superman movie. So then I, I watched Superman uh, 1 and very much... Well, oh, hold on. So but, but just just to make sure it's clear to everyone listening, Superman 4, when we watched that for the test episode of this podcast, that was Peter's first ever Superman movie. Oh, yeah. I'd never seen <laughs> Superman Returns. I never. I still haven't seen Man of Steel or Batman vs. Superman. Not like a willful, I don't watch uh, Superman movies kind of thing. More like a just... Eh, it, didn't, it just didn't interest me. I didn't see any of these movies growing up. 
So Superman 4 Quest for Peace was was my first one and I kind of enjoyed it. So I saw Superman 1 earlier this year and I really loved it, like I said, for previous reasons. And yeah, so when I heard that we Aaron wanted to do Superman 2 for the podcast, I was really excited. So it's like, oh yeah, I want to see what else this guy did. But yeah, I have, <laughs> I have very positive feelings for this this series overall, minus three, which I've not not ever actually seen in full. Yeah, so uh, so let's just jump right into the, the Donner and the Lester stuff. So I, I, I'm going to agree with you, Zach, having basically watched them back to back, like anyone who says that the Donner cut is better is an insane person. Now, I'm not saying what whatever hypothetical original yeah. vision this was going to come together. But the Donner cut as it exists is it, and, and I'll, I'll speak to let's forget about the oh, it has the same ending. There's two points I want to talk about why it doesn't work, because I know Peter hasn't seen it. And I want to talk about the Superman movie that we're all here to actually talk about. So there's two points that I really want to talk about. One, the editing, which makes sense because it was edited by one guy trying to reconstruct something is absolutely terrible. Where where the real Superman 2 has all of its plots kind of exist and move along at a at a pace where they're all uh, ready to hit some sort of convergence where Lex Luthor and Superman's story and the and Zod and the Kryptonian story all converges at one moment. Uh, Superman 2 happens in like these chunks where like this happens and then this happens and then this happens, but that makes for some really um, it's edited fine on a scene to scene basis, but as the whole the movie flows so weird and off puttingly, it it just does it just doesn't work as a as a film. There's a reason yeah. why like there's teams of editors that people review that they do other cuts, but I think this is also a good. Um, a good showing of like this is why uh, film editing is important. Watch this version and then watch this version, and you'll see how one moves together in like a natural flow of a river, and the other one feels really kind of cut together in a very unnatural way. Even if you, even if it's ineffable and you can't really describe why it feels disjointed, yeah, um, it's very easy to see why that occurred. The other thing is that. Superman reversing the world, which he does at the end of Superman 1 that was originally going to be the ending of Superman 2, where he, you know, flies fast around, reverses the flow of time to get rid of one moment at the end of Superman, which is the nuclear bomb going off and the earthquakes and Lois Lane dying. He reverses like 30 minutes. In Superman 2, as originally conceived and as presented in the Richard Donner cut, he reverses the entire events of Superman 2 for the entire world. Their their fix for that wasn't better, um, necessarily an amnesia kiss, but the idea that uh, like a sequel to a superhero movie would just be reversed like it's all a dream, like... I have less of a problem with it conceptually to erase one mistake or one event than reversing like the last few weeks of some yeah. things that went wrong. Those are the two things that I think it ultimately really fails as a cohesive vision or movie as presented. There are some things that work. Like um, obviously the the big thing is that Warner Brothers did not want to pay Marlon Brando to appear in the sequel, so he's <laughs> he is not he's not in there, which I have a question for Peter about later. So they inserted Superman's mom instead, which is really weird. Um, yeah. It has a much better build of the kryptonians as a whole so there's there is some stuff that works better and lester is a very good director not just in uh beatles related stuff yeah. but you know he did uh those musketeer movies in the 70s yeah. he did robin and marion like he can direct action fine and a lot of the stuff uh that works in superman 2 works 
works great. And the final thing I saw, say, uh, I know I've been talking for a little bit, <laughs> but this is something that I found out watching some documentaries on when they put together the Richard Donner cut, which is uh, this was 25 years later when they shot these documentaries or 20 years later, whatever it was. Richard Donner is still fucking pissed. Uh, he went out of his way to say whatever that director, I, I've purposely forgotten his name that they used to replace me. And I, they were friends, like, on, on the first Superman set. So that was that was not a – he has not forgotten Richard Lester's name. And he would leave the room when they when, when he was working with – because he worked with the editor that put this together. Yeah. He would leave the room anytime one of Richard Lester's scenes uh, had to be inserted. Like, he would have nothing to do with that. This was not something that blew, that uh, that went away. He is still just like, fuck that guy. How dare he? And I don't – I'm not saying that's wrong. But what I will say about it is that the perfect version of Superman 2 exists somewhere in between the Lester and the Donner cut. Yeah. And I think that footage exists. Not even saying, hey, let's go look at some other dailies and find some more footage and re-edit yeah. the movie. But just seeing those two movies, there's stuff that works in one. If, if there was less of a, a Richard Donner just saying, I don't want any – like as little of Richard Lester's version as possible, an actual superior cut with the two elements of footage could have been made. We, Instead, we, we get this we get yeah. this weird version of, of Richard Donner just being like, let's try to get as much of my version <laughs> as possible. We need to get Steven Soderbergh on that. Yeah, and, and Richard Lester – the final thing I'll say about that is that their, their feud – Richard Lester refuses to talk about Superman 2, period. Like he <laughs> – Probably he, for the best. Like – yeah, it's it's such a controversial thing to basically be like, oh, hey, we're going to give you the, the keys to one of the biggest franchises at the time and we're going to give it to you over another guy. Like, what, what could he say that wouldn't sound like gloating over yeah. Richard Donner? I find it funny that Richard Donner says I, I, for, I purposely forgot his name and the, the idea of Richard Donner. Who's a pretty? I mean, I, I think he's a good director. I, I like a lot of his movies. There's a couple I'm not crazy about, but I think he's great. I like the fact that this director, who's amazing, claims that he doesn't know the name of another one of probably the most influential directors of the 20th century. Well, also, they have the I, same fucking name. <laughs> yeah. it, tickles, it tickles me pink. I really does. Aaron spoke about the how the ending of Superman 2, the Donner Cut, is not only is it, the, is it the same ending we saw in 1, but it's also a little bit more implausible. The ending of Superman 1 already has a huge hole in it that... I think people just don't talk about because the movie's good. But when Superman reverts time so that he can save Lois Lane, that should, in theory, mean that he also didn't save all those other people that he that that prevented him from saving Lois Lane. Am I right? Yeah, I feel like the move should be that he stops. <laughs> he goes back in time to stop the um, the the Doomsday Device or whatever the fuck. I, yeah. I, it's been it's been a while since I've watched it. However. Um, However, Lex Luthor causes yeah. that break in the in the tectonic plates or whatever. It, it should be him going back and stopping yeah. that so that he doesn't have to save people from falling off the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. He doesn't have to save. I, I agree. It's 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 a big it's a big uh, gap in the movie that you don't notice because the movie has an emotional punch that overcomes it. Yeah, but erasing the whole events of a movie, I think, is a little harder to overlook, even for emotional <laughs> even for an emotional moment. So I think I'm with Aaron on that. It doesn't really work. Like it's hard to it's hard to get past. It's fun to watch, and there's a lot of interesting footage yeah. that you didn't get to see. And like I said, there's a lot of it that it was like, oh, I wish this could be in the Lester cut. But yeah. ultimately, it is definitely the inferior as presented. It is an inferior movie. I think the end of the Lester movie is is kind of garbagey too. Oh yeah. But 
but it it um in its own way <laughs> yeah in its own way but in a more like controlled way where you're yeah. like well i guess that device does that thing i guess <laughs> this does that as opposed to the movie just opening up this giant camel can of worms to talk about space time i feel like for this just throwing in a time travel thing right at the end just blows up the movie in a kind of uh in a way that just distracts the audience from any sort of emotional journey that it could be going on yeah well it's it's also like you know uh in in funny games michael haneke does a thing where you, you know uh there's there's kind of a final a victory over the villains and then the villain grabs a tv remote and rewinds it and it's supposed to be a big fuck you to the audience because it's like because Michael Haneke is a petty, stupid son of a bitch. We'll, we'll disagree on Haneke in general, but <laughs> but the point of that moment is like, hey, fuck you! What if I just rewind what just happened? Well, that's what Sup- that's what Superman does. Yeah, I only, hey, fuck I only you. mean to Haneke because I think he hates his audience. I, I'm never I'm never personally rude to audiences, but like, I, I'm never personally rude to directors. I think unless they're like directly trying to hurt their audience, that scene has a similar problem to me. So yeah, the fact that Superman can just like fly around the Earth and undo time raises a lot of like crazy questions of why he doesn't do that all the time. Like, <laughs> was he not mad enough about the president being dethroned that he couldn't? Like, yeah. what is motivating him to to not do this? It starts breaking this illusion of this sort of idealistic world that has a number of bad actors in it that Superman has to stop to keep it an idealistic world. So yeah, let's let's get let's get into Superman two though. So my first question is: Is this the f- so even though um, Richard Donner didn't get to complete his vision, is this the first movie that was that was uh, Superman two was shot back to back with Superman one? I mean, I can't even think of that many uh, other movies since then that did it. I know obviously Back to the Future two and three famously did it. Uh, the Matrix movies did it. I'm pretty sure that uh, all the Air Bud movies were shot in one two week period, but. Beyond that, Lord of the Rings didn't they do it for two? Lord of the Rings, I know. I think all all the all the Lord of the Rings yeah, movies, and I think all right. the Hobbit movies maybe Probably. were all shot uh, concurrently. But I I think this might be the first example of that, unless anyone did better research than I. Well, did. unless unless we're counting like Roger Corman, like oh I I finished this movie that was going to take four weeks and two weeks, so let's make another movie using these same sets. Unless you count that, I think you're yeah. probably right. I think I gave this movie way too much credit as a kid because – or when I was younger because when the when the people that were like weirdly mentioned and you stop thinking about in the first one show up as the main villain in the second ones, like in the 90s, that was like a crazy uh, continuity between sequels that I'm like, that is amazing. Four years later, they brought those same guys back at a time where sequels – uh, basically just remade the movies over and over. There was rarely any, like, through line between movies. I thought that this was amazing. Yeah. Um, turns out it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I, I, I'm, like, I'm impressed, and I, obviously it makes more sense when you know they're shot back to back. I am impressed with the fact that it does set up what's going to happen in two and one. I feel like a lot of, I mean, like, I guess it's done more now. It does feel sometimes like they kind of like after the fact, like, hey, we mentioned this. Let's make that big in the next movie. Uh, You know, what's funny about that is that I actually, when I was watching the first movie, I kind of hated that because I'm someone who thinks that more superhero superhero movies need to be stripped down to like, 
to like one A plot and a couple B plots. And I think that superhero movies tend to get bogged down in too many like yeah. B and even C plots. D plots. <laughs> yeah, D plots. <laughs> like, let's hang out on a farm for a bit. That like, farm grew up to be Lex Luthor. You need to. <laughs> <laughs> and like, that's the thing is like, I love like a lot of the, uh, the Marvel movies, but occasionally they get in this, this uh, tendency to blow up their universe too wide, too fast. So when I was watching the first movie, I was like, Oh fuck! They have to take down Lex Luthor, and they have to. It just like becomes this exhausting endeavor for me, mm-hmm. where I'm like, oh, they have to wrap up all these plot lines. But that movie, but the, then I ended up loving the first movie because then the characters just don't come back. Yeah, and I was like, oh yeah, there's a second one that ended up working out for me. But yeah, yeah when it first happened, I hated it, and I think this movie has a problem where gene hackman didn't need to be in the movie no no he is he's he's so good in it i'm not gonna i'm not trying to be a dick he is so funny in this and i will say another thing that is is this movie is way funnier than the first movie and a lot (laughs) of that has to do uh i watched the lester cut so i imagine a lot of that has to do with richard lester like there's an opening scene with um Superman in the Daily Planet office. Same these conversations and, and Perry White's sort of like throwing shit at him and Perry White is like rearranging very casually making jo- like not jokes but like sort of deadpan remarks about maybe Paris getting nuked and then Superman goes you sent Lois Lane to investigate this uh, nuclear incident in, in Paris and he goes of course I sent Lois Lane she's my best reporter. No offense. It's like there's like so much great comedy Right yeah. off the bat, I kind of don't want Gene Hackman to go away because the comedy in this movie is really, really terrific. And Gene Hackman is a really, really funny com- comedic actor. But uh, overall, he's just he's just useless. So he's supposed to be there to stitch the uh, Zod characters to, with Superman together. But Superman has super hearing and these Zod characters are going after the United States. So why can't Superman find them as him fucking self? Yeah, and I uh, to go back to something you said about the humor... Uh, it's definitely a sillier movie. Just the concept, though, of, like, making a bunch of jokes about a terrorist attack on a major city is kind of a fun Especially blast of the past. Yeah. Which, I mean, it does leave a couple questions open after watching this movie. One, George W. Bush, who uh, planned our, our terrorist attack in our country, <laughs> was alive during Superman 2. Do you think he did Paris? Number two, I, I don't understand why Superman won't just come out and call those terrorists Islamic extremists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As to the comedy, I think that's part of why I like this one most of all the films. This is, there are parts of this movie that feel like a Howard Hawk style, like, screwball comedy. I love that. And I, and I don't know why, like, that really doesn't probably have anything to do with what Superman is or should be. But I think it works really well, especially the way that, like, Christopher Reeve plays Clark Kent as, like, a kind of a Cary Grant bumbling doofus, like, from, like, Bringing Up Baby or... And it just, it works so well for me. And I and I know, like, ever, some people say, ah, it's, it's a kind of silly. The first one is epic. Yeah, the first one's way more epic. But this one just is so much fun. Even when, it, when it's at its silliest, it's always a really fun movie. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely silly. It's definitely, uh... It feels like a lot of dad humor, yeah. But funny dad humor, like yeah. it's it's. I, I don't even know if funny is the right word. Like I wasn't laughing out loud, Zane. but I. Yeah, it's it's zany and it it, it it's charming. 
charming yeah. sense of humor where it's it's they're not taking it too seriously and and most of that i like quite a bit like i it, it stands out more in the donner cut because they're trying to excise as much of that as possible yeah so when like the the scene where zod is you know fucking around with yokels doesn't really match or <laughs> the tone of the rest of the movie or the whole like uh where gene hackman's friend who disappears halfway through the movie uh finds the toilet like those those are way more out of place in the Donner cut. Yeah, I mean I, I like it quite a bit. I think it I think it's I think it's an additive quality to this movie. Yeah, and, and there's a really great line that I think that the movie that, that kind of sums up the movie as a whole. The president is kneeling before Zod. The president said something like, Forgive me, God. And uh, Zod just goes, Zod, correcting him. <laughs> and then it cuts away. And it's like, yeah, it's like Aaron says, it's a dad joke. But I think it perfectly encapsulates the tone of this movie, at least yeah. the Lester cut, in that uh, it's it's goofy, but underlying it is a very ominous sort of gravity yeah. to it. Like, there are scenes where you're like, oh, Superman got his, his ass kicked. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's, there's a grounding to it that Superman mm-hmm. 4 doesn't have. And I don't imagine Superman 3 has. Yeah, that whole scene in the White House is great. First of all, does the whole Joan awesome. of Arc. Yeah, the whole Joan of Arc riff, which I think is a joke in and of itself, where this, for no reason someone else pretends to be the president, um, which is great. Um, and Zod's like, nah, you, you'd care more uh, about your people. This is after they just are flying around being dicks to Mount Rushmore and stuff like that. that. That silliness in the way that they're not trying to portray Zod as necessarily this. Because if, if you go to – if you say, let's let's not make this movie silly – then what you're going to do is portray Zod as this, you know, more evil killer type person instead of just a power hungry. But I think his kind of like lackadaisical evil is great in this movie and also super unique. In almost any other version of this movie, uh, or, or I shouldn't say this movie, but any other version of like uh, a god comes down to challenge Superman, who's also the god protecting the planet. You don't have the gods just kind of walk around and just kind of fuck with people and see what their powers are. <laughs> They're not going around killing people in the same way that you aren't like, oh, I can kill ants. I'm going to walk around and stomp ants. Like, yeah. they don't care about human life necessarily, but it's like it's time consuming to kill them and they're trying to figure out what's going on. Their lazy version of evil is yeah. is unique and awesome. There, I mean, they, there are times when they seem more just kind of like amused, like almost like a cat just kind of playing with its prey. Like, eh, I think I'll bat it around now and then I'll dangle it by its tail. But they're not like interested in like killing anyone. They're just more like this lower life form is kind of fun to. Yeah, although they do get bored with that, like in an yeah. afternoon. Yeah. Which is kind of weird. <laughs> they land on the planet, become the leaders of the free world. And they're like, well, I'm bored now. Um, Peter, what Peter, what did, you, what did you think of the whole, like, kind of lazy, lazy, oh, we're in charge of this planet now aspect? I love it because it's sort of, if you have a bug in your house, you might not necessarily be in a hurry to squash it. If you know that it, if you're like, ah, ah, I'll get to you. You exert effort for something that's a true threat. It, it had this sort of malice to it where it's like, I don't even have to really, like, even raise my voice to you. And, and what's funny is that, like, in the Lester cut, at least, I don't, I don't know about the Donner cut, they even have moments where they kind of endear the villains to you. Because mm-hmm. the villains keep, like, not killing people. Yeah. They keep, like, tossing people or dropping. Like, like there's a scene where a little kid essentially gets the villain to drop his dad without killing him. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, well, they, like, are evil, 
but not like super evil. Like they don't even seem all that interested or joyful in, in the act of murder. They just want the power and the control over the earth. Yeah. And, and, and I love that. And I, I love that there's the scene. I love the discovery scenes of them discovering their powers, the stuff with the weird shit with the snake and how like the big guy um, essentially lifts up the cop car to check out the shotgun and doesn't realize that it's, you know, whatever, a two ton cop car. <laughs> Like that's pretty that, – all that stuff is really, really lovely. Yeah. And I think it works thematically really well too because the whole – the reason why Zod gets bored so quickly is because he is not taking over this planet because he wanted to rule a planet. He wanted to rule Krypton, which doesn't exist anymore and would have posed a challenge to him. So he's he's doing that thing where like he's he's living out a fantasy that no longer exists and just like any fantasy, it's not as good as the real thing. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Because he's just sort of like, eventually they're just bored sitting in the Oval Office like, well, now what the hell do we do? This The whole point of this was that I wanted this somewhere else. And now it's just a a facade and a a faux version of this. And that's why he kind of gets excited when he finds out there might be another Kryptonian to challenge. Because if he defeats him, he'll feel like he has earned control of the planet in the way that he always wanted to. Yeah, yeah, because he because he just basically steamrolled all the other guys, and uh, I, yeah, I love that. I love the the way that they just get their powers and then immediately start exerting them, almost like kids. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, something it, very it, childlike about like their like intro to the planet. It's like the ex the kind of exploratory like this is the first time they're seeing this. It's their fascination with the Earth. And I said, as you say, it's because he doesn't want to rule Earth. He wants to rule Krypton. He doesn't want to just rule any planet. And he realizes this is a really easy thing to do. And so I don't think it's till he realizes that there is a challenger, that there's Superman there, that it really becomes interesting to him. I know that, you know, space changes time and how we experience time and such. They have been in that prism for decades in Earth time, I guess. I don't know how long in space time. I'm not a, a, a astrophysicist, but they they were in that cube for a while. Like they pro- they might have thought that they were doomed to fly through space forever. Which, by the way, didn't they say like the only? She says, "Oh, the only thing that can break that open is a nuclear blast." Do you know what? There are a lot of in space <laughs> nuclear blasts. It's like essentially what the sun is. <laughs> And you said you weren't an astrophysicist. (laughs) So basically, like, if they crashed into any sun... Well, I would assume um, they'd be also be vaporized in that scenario. Yeah, so wait, was that, like, basically, like, you're going to rot for eternity, or if you hit into a sun, you're going to blow up because (laughs) Superman... When Superman landed on Earth, he didn't know that our yellow sun would, uh invigorate him right yeah they figured that shit out really quick what's especially i mean this is just kind of a funny timing i because they're flying on the moon which i think they think is the planet at first they're flying and then later on they kind of realize we have superpowers like well you were just flying in space that's not a new thing for you (laughs) like it seems like it took you guys way too long to realize there might be something that's changed with you Everybody, uh, we were probably just talking about something that suddenly ended. We had a situation where we had to stop the podcast, and we are resuming now. 
Uh, it was really weird. Uh, there was a radio playing in the podcast booth that we're all huddled in. Uh, something about a bridge collapsed. Zach looked at us and said he had to go to the bathroom. He was tugging on his tie and ran out. And he was gone for like 45 minutes. Is that uh, a euphemism? Yeah. He was tugging on his tie? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, he, he was tugging on his uh, on his penis and running out of the room, taking off his clothes. I have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Uh, the, the implication was that he was Superman, but I guess but I guess uh, Peter decided yeah. to change it to some weird pervert who needed to go <laughs> masturbate for 45 minutes suddenly. I wish that was part of Superman's cover, is that <laughs> Lois thinks that he's just, just like a serial masturbator, and he's just like, he just sees something, and he's just like, I gotta run. It would be great if he did, if he always changed into his costume in the bathroom. Just stepped out the window. Clark, what are you doing in there? Oh, <laughs> and, and he was really that was that was the one time he was super clumsy. He's like banging Ooh. over stuff and knocking into walls. <laughs> but yeah, so other than masturbating, um... <laughs> so yeah, so we uh, we we did we did have a slight uh, technical snafu. We're back. We are going to continue on with the stuff that we wanted to talk about, but whatever we were talking about our, is our final thought on that. So I hope you all enjoyed enjoyed whatever, wherever we were at. So anyways, uh, let's move on to what we want to talk about next, which is like kind of the centerpiece of this entire movie, which is the relationship between uh, Clark and Lois. Lois figures out that uh, through a few uh, incidents like uh, Clark Kent getting hit by a car and clearly that Clark Kent is actually Superman. Uh, and she tries to test him a couple times and finally succeeds into tricking him to revealing himself as uh, Superman. Which, again, just, just to go back to the Lester cut, one of the reasons – or the Donner cut, one of the reasons that the Donner cut doesn't work is the movie starts, I kid you not, Peter, with uh, Lois just looking at Clark in a hat and glasses and sees a picture of Superman on the table and just draws glasses and a hat on him on the picture of Superman and goes, oh, they're the same person. No. Yeah. There's no progression. There's no. There's no anything. I actually really like how it's handled in the. Oh yeah. Cut. Oh yeah. It's yeah. it's fantastic. It's very charming. Like it's and I like the idea of this being the movie where after all the craziness of the first movie and how Superman you know turned back time to to mm. free her and this being the movie that like she figures it out because like you can't have Lois never figure it out because uh, she's a she's an ace reporter the best. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it would really undermine everything that they have to say about <laughs> Lois Lane. But um, it's it's charmingly done in this movie. And it makes you like Lois more when she figures it out. And she's willing to kind of like put her ass in the line to figure it out. I will say this. Like it's a it's like the eternal joke that like it's obvious that Clark Kent is Superman because it's just glasses is the only difference. Christopher Reeve is really good at making you buy the fact that she could be around both of them and still not know it. I, I buy it. I don't know. Maybe not everyone else does. But. Yeah, no, I mean, Christopher Reeve is famously great. I really think the only way that the performance could be better is if all of Superman and Clark Kent scenes were played by Dean Cain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Christopher Reeve does a really good job, and I think that really helps it. And actually, like, as much as Christopher Reeve always gets a lot of credit in these movies, like, Margot Kidder is amazing. In oh, this yeah. movie. I think it's a great, a great build. It's a great resolution when he finally reveals himself and they fly off to the Fortress of Solitude. Uh, you know, they can finally talk openly. They have this great dinner. It's after that that is my big problem with the movie. You know, there's there's some little things here and there that don't work. 
But the whole thing of not just Superman losing and deciding that I need to give up my powers immediately. It's that he basically has Margot Kidder is this great, like strong character, this great female. Like there has not been a Lois Lane. Um, and I mean this non-jokingly, maybe Terry Hatcher a little bit on Lois and Clark. That is kind of come close to being this strong, independent, like reporter woman who is like, you know, is both feminine, but also like you know, has her own uh, thing going on that she's not really all that submissive. And she just kind of disappears in the second half as yeah. a result. And that's, I mean, you know, that's extremely unfortunate because we, we are robbed of uh, Margot Kidder's great performance. But it also makes Superman look like a dick. Like, it not once does he ask uh, her, like, is this what you want? And it's also kind of like Superman is who Superman and his powers and the things that he does is part of one of the reasons that Lois Lane, you know, is attracted to him. And it's not necessarily I think you can make the argument that it's not like, oh, yeah, well, she just likes him because he's powerful. But I think you can make the argument that he has through his works, which is saving people and trying to bring peace. He is showing his character. So it's kind of like the equivalent of like, you know, falling in love with someone because that, oh, they show so much discipline as being such this amazing basketball player. And then yeah. like the person's like, well, now that we're together, if I'm focused on basketball, that's going to be distracting. I'm going to cut off my legs without talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I think I think you're dead on there. But I also think that kind of gets into the crux of the movie, which is that he gives up his power to be with her, but then he realizes that really isn't going to work either. And I don't know if the movie hammers on it as much as it probably could. He immediately realizes, well, this this kind of sucks. For one, I'm no longer, I don't longer have, I can't fly or I'm not super strong. But also he realizes it's not really sustainable because more important than his, like, being with Lois is what he can do as Superman. And so maybe maybe that's more of the dramatic momentum is not that he realizes she won't love him if he's not Superman, but that though he's not useful if he's not Superman. And it but it goes from like this like, you know, affable relationship and it's great that these two charming yeah. individuals with such great chemistry finally come together and then immediately goes into like this bad marriage where like one person is like an alcoholic because <laughs> the first thing they do is they go to this kind of bar and yeah. Clark feels like Lois got insulted and then goes to pick a fight with him which Raises a couple questions because one is he like finally I can fight someone and not kill them like it, was he just always a dick who wanted to pick fights with anyone who disrespected his lady like <laughs> Superman and his character should be way above that and now he's like now I can really mix it up but I misinterpreted it the first time because I thought it was he wanted to make sure that his powers were gone so losing a fight would do it yeah um and and this time as well I'm like oh yeah that's what he's doing I had totally forgotten. That that goes into him being a fucking alcoholic who just keeps needing another drink while he's bleeding and going, I don't know who I am anymore. And his girlfriend is like, please just stop this madness. This is a fucking that's the first thing he does as a human. And then like he's like, well, fuck this. I'm going back to being a superhero, a superhero again. It's dumb on every level. It's dumb. In execution, it's dumb. Conceptually, like, their relationship gets super dark super quickly. Yeah, why, so here's my, my issue with it primarily is uh, I get the sort of the dichotomy between he can live as Clark Kent and live a normal everyday life and he wants to blend in with, you know, normal society and he can, he can be with Lois as, like, a normal human. And I get the dichotomy of, like, him 
feeling like he's the only one that can save the world. He's the only one that has the power to do so and the will to do so. And he he knows that he can inspire the world to be better. Uh, The sort of rift between those two. The movie does a terrible job at elaborating the two sides of the coin. And I think that what should really happen is instead of having him taken his powers away, it should have just been like a discussion where he's like, well, maybe I'll just stop being Superman. And then like at the end of the movie, he becomes convinced that he can't live fairy tale life with Lois Lane. He has to be Superman because right when he thinks that the world is safe, it will be the least safe. And I think that's another reason why the Gene Hackman thing is so fucky. Zod and, and them already seemed, Zod and the crew already seemed sort of destined to run into Superman. Why does Gene Hackman need to be in the movie? And why does why does Gene Hackman need to directly threaten Lois? Superman cares about the human race. He doesn't have to just keep rescuing Lois over and over again. He's already res- he spent the first half of the movie rescuing her. Hackman basically makes Lois paints paints a target on Lois's back for no good reason. It, it does have a, a little bit crowded feel towards the end with Gene Hackman, even though the very end I think really worked. Where how how Superman uses Lex Luthor to kind yeah. of trick the like that works as like a final pin in the nail of all four of their coffins. In, yeah. in in some respects, but I yeah, agree that good. getting to that point, there there's a lot of mess. And the last thing I'll say about the giving up the powers is, you know, people I think correctly rag on Star Trek Into Darkness uh, for the whole thing of like Kirk dies, and then you're supposed to have all this emotional heft and dramatic weight given to that, and then is back ten minutes later. And I think rightfully, because that even though if you know he's coming back, wait till the next goddamn movie. The fact that he gives up his powers and then goes out in the town and basically comes back from lunch is like, I'm getting my powers again. It takes away any potential uh, dramatic heft. Uh, and again, I think it's dumb. I don't I don't think there's a way to do the giving up your powers thing that works. That's not what people want to see. And it's not if you can just give up your powers when you're annoying that that doesn't work well i don't think to the whole the mantle of a superhero means great responsibility and sacrifice but it's especially meaningless when 10 minutes later he's like oh i guess i need these back yeah it's very contrived (laughs) and and you can't have a character literally say uh you give up your powers forever (laughs) yeah and then you can hark on the fact that like the north pole is apparently like a 15 minute drive (laughs) north of everything yeah because like and apparently, after he gives up his powers, uh, he just has like a Lincoln Continental parked in uh, the, the driveway of, of yeah. uh, the Fortress of Solitude because he just like ends up driving to a diner immediately See, I, after. I, th- I thought he walked there, and I remember thinking when I, every time I watched it, like he just like walked through the snow. Who knows how many miles? Like yeah, that, so he, that's he, that's true of all Superman movies. Like, there's nothing that Superman loves to do than fucking trudge through the snow to the Fortress of Solitude. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also a sequence that in, you know, Good and the Bad, the Ugly and Lawrence of Arabia both have, like, good long sequences yeah. where people are trudging through, obviously not the snow, but the desert. Yeah. And it's a similar sort of effect where, you know, they're, they're sort of dying and they can't. They use some sort of environmental clues to show you how fucking miserable they are as these like vulnerable, your, your big yeah. strong heroes have become vulnerable. And the sequence where he goes to the North Pole is like, well, it was a little cold when I was walking up there. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of yeah, windy. Like, I, I didn't have a hat. In the good, the bad, and the ugly, like, Clint Eastwood's face looks, like, ravaged. Like, Oh, you're right. It's so like, gross. Like, he's, like, scales. In this, <laughs> Superman's like, ooh, <laughs> I'm a little yeah. chilly. 
Clark's just like trying to pull that members only jacket over his face. Like this will, <laughs> this will protect me. Yeah. I know, like I, I don't know how cold the North Pole is, but I imagine it's it's a little more than just chilly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, normal people died on their way there. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, and but but people just walk north, and eventually you get to his house. This this is actually a legitimate comic question. Like I know that this Fortress of Solitude is like in the Arctic. Is it supposed to be at like the literal magnetic North Pole? Because if it's not, I feel like you could miss it even if you're going north. I don't know if I don't know if it's actually ever like said it's here at magnetic north. It's definitely in the region. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I do want to get to the very end because I think it speaks to a problem that people have with this movie that I definitely want all of us to get a chance to discuss. I don't want to gloss over the fight in Metropolis, though, because I I think it's great. It goes on for, I think, just the right amount of time for it to feel appropriately epic. Like, it's not a five-minute thing. It's like a 15, 20-minute scene, but it has uh, changes and people getting better position. It works well in... 2016 i can't imagine what that scene felt like in you know the 80s peter this was your first time seeing it like what did you find it more cheesy or sort of charmingly epic in the way that you know it's it's not going to be the man of steel like throwing so-and-so through buildings but i think it does approach that in a in a more uh realistic and less constant endless destruction i uh i actually love the battles the the reason i love this movie and the first movie is I love the battles. I think that they're remarkably well constructed. They use they use really great miniature work. More so the yeah. first movie. The, the first movie has really terrific miniature work. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, really great effects, practical effects work uh, being done, and some really clever sort of give and take. How does Superman stop? Uh, Zod's laser eyes. He throws a mirror up. Like there's, there's a there's a lot of little clever moments like that 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 add wrinkles to the battle and make it feel like an actual comic book. And it's not just um, like the end of the third Matrix movie or maybe Man of Steel, which I haven't seen, uh, where they're just punching each other brutally over and over again. There's a lot of like little tricks, and, and to me, that's understanding how to make, keep your audience from feeling exhausted during yeah. the movie. The, my only complaint during it is. I don't normally notice this in movies. There's a lot of product placement in it. There's a ton and it, of product. Like, yeah. And it feels it feels weird to, to have so much product <laughs> placement in Metropolis. Because, like, I see Metropolis as this, like, fantasy world. I feel like they should have goofy alt brands to everything, right? Like It was like, yeah, let's <laughs> throw them at the Marlboro sign. Throw them at the Coca-Cola sign. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was, you know, it was it, pretty – it was pretty uh, – they were not being subtle because it was just people being thrown into corporate locos. And it's I, funny because like the go- the goofiness is kind of undercut by that because I'm like, oh wait, is this supposed to take place? Because the only time that I can accept product placement is when it's it, it adds a verisimilitude to the movie. And in this, I'm like, so Metropolis is an alternate reality New York where they have all the same <laughs> shitty corporate products we do <laughs> so your so your problem wasn't the cigarette product placement in um in a, a superman movie. movie yeah you well you wanted those like make them called like marleros <laughs> red apple um, yeah yeah red apple uh, to, speaking to the fighting i think one of the things these films do very well and i'll say even i think 3 and 4 still do it pretty well or just with lower budgets and less not as advanced effects and much that, less competent people yeah. in charge. They they make Superman when he fights. They really make him look 
intelligent. He is supposed to be a really intelligent guy. Like, as Kal-El, you know, citizen of Krypton, he's, he studies, you know, space and all this stuff. So he's not like this brute like he is in Man of Steel. He's a smart guy who's not thinking, oh, I'm going to punch this guy as hard as I can, but like, how do I actually stop this guy? They do so well with that. It's more interesting to watch this kind of fight. I think this is a good transition to the ending. So we'll talk yeah. about Amnesia Kiss in a second. But before we get to that, a quick note on one thing that I think a lot of people have made a lot of jokes about in this movie. It's almost in some ways become one of the defining aspects of this movie is that cellophane S that he throws. <laughs> but I would – doesn't do much. Uh, I think it's rightfully made a joke. But I forgot that that kind of comes in a sea of – powers that Superman and Kryptonians don't normally have uh, <laughs> between between levitation powers and Superman like saying that basically he can create doubles of himself, illusionary doubles of himself all over the place. And there's a couple other I'm forgetting. So I think that that could be kind of a defining line of how you feel about this movie, because if you can accept the fact and I and I think this does segue into Amnesia Kiss, because that is also one of the powers that we've never heard of him ever having. But I guess he can suck out very specific memories of people. He can make mirror versions of himself. I guess he could levitate shit if it came up, but he's never bothered to. And he can throw, uh, you know, illusionary S's at people. How do you feel about all the added powers in this movie? I'll, I'll say that it doesn't bother me in the same way that you can talk about how what certain movies are interested in. You know, I'm not a purist when it comes to this stuff. Like the fact that Superman in this movie and Kryptonians in this movie have a bunch of power that we don't really talk about because they wouldn't be useful in most cases. That's fine because, to me, the whole reason that, they, that he has the powers, like the sun, that maybe works for flight and strength. But he already had all this weird shit like he's got laser eyes and frost breath, little illusions of himself and levitation powers. That doesn't bother me. Yeah, it doesn't bother me either. In, <laughs> in either four or three, Superman unhypnotizes or amnesia kisses Lois for like a scene and then redoes it again. What I don't know what he's actually doing there. Is he like just kind of hiding the memories or like I think he's 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 using that this is about Superman four, but I remember when we did that, Peter must have been so confused. The one thing you can say about the amnesia kiss in this is that it has some emotional weight. That oh, he's yeah. giving up his humanity. It's dumb as shit. And again, another situation where the movie takes the strongest Lois Lane in history and takes agency away from her in a very frustrating way. Like, yeah. All those aspects are the biggest detriments to this movie. It's still way better than fucking Superman 4. He's just constantly revealing his identity to, to Lois Lane so he can fucking talk about his day and then amnesia kissing away those conversations. So is that how yeah, it goes he's, down he's basically like Job from uh he's basically like Job from Rust Development with the Forget Me's. Oh, yeah, forget me not. <laughs> yeah, forget so, me not. Pills. So Peter, what what did you think of the amnesia kiss now that it's in context? Like let's pretend like there's no sort of uh, creepy pseudo-sexual uh, roofy <laughs> moments to, uh, comparisons to make. I just don't like any time that magic powers come out of someone's butt. Like, I just don't like the... <laughs> I just I like the throwing of the S. 
and like all these little things that just like have never been established before. It's fine if they're like a little moment, but like it's just Deus Ex Machina stuff that is just housed within the fact that Superman has a lot of powers. I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like the kiss, and I and I feel like I understand why the Donner cut went the other way, even though I think the kiss is better than the revolving around the world, just because it asks less questions. The only question here is like. Is it, you have to be a kind of a dick to ask. To be like, well, why doesn't Superman go around uh, kissing people, making them forget their life of crime? With the, with the revolving the earth thing, I'd, it makes you. I'd, all sorts I'd of watch that movie where Superman's greatest power is kissing the evil away out of everyone, makes passionate face love to someone, and then flies away. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that. We'll do the uh, porno porno spoofs of Superman in the same month we do Flash Gordon. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, again, he in Superman four he shows himself. To be a huge asshole that he just does does this to this <laughs> poor woman who he's not even dating anymore. He's dating someone else in Superman 4. And just, I mean, not that if you're dating, it's okay to, uh, to suck memories away from people just to talk <laughs> about your day. But, like, it is just, it's just crazy, uh, like, this emotional and mind torture that he's doing to this poor woman. Just to be able to talk about his date with someone. Like, I know that you're parents are dead and you don't want to talk to your realtor or whatever in that movie but jesus christ superman but if you're like oh my god in superman 4 he was such a dick guess what guys the seeds for his dickitude were absolutely sown and foreshadowed in this movie because the triumphant ending of this movie clark or superman goes back to the bar as clark kent where that guy mopped the floor with him earlier and decides to beat the shit out of him in, I mean, in a, in a more family-friendly way, but throws him across the bar and then says, I've been working out. It's like, I should say, this this ends both the Donner... The, the Lester cut actually at least has him return the, the flag to the White House. That ends the Donner cut. It basically ends the Lester cut. What fucking world are, are is the audience cheering at some really petty-ass revenge that Superman <laughs> is doing on this poor guy? Like, the idea that Superman, who's, like, the arbiter of all that is good in the world, is like, no, this guy fucked with me, cannot, like, he's been waiting for for the Kryptonians to go away just so he can show this asshole that yeah. he can beat him up. That super, even Superman is not capable of forgiving and forgetting. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, this guy, this guy seems like a dick, but not, like, such a dick. That, like, this diner hates him. He's rude at this diner. No one seems to really enjoy him. But he's not, like, some fucking monster that needs to be stopped. Yeah, and also, like, if you're that much more powerful than someone, like, I've met three-year-olds that are dicks. It's not okay for me to punch him in the face. <laughs> like, like it's, well, uh, and go, almost well. Almost every single oh, three-year-old. Yeah, exactly. Like, you, just because a, a child is, is acting, okay? no, generally, no. Uh, that was why my daycare career didn't last as long as it should have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean it is it is kind of that hey even if you are annoyed at someone you're you're just not on the same level but the fact that it's especially it's the ending of the it's basically the ending of the movie like the music is swelling and I guess they thought that that would be something that audiences wanted to see like I think in a big way Lester like he's a prankster like as a director his Beatles movies are really irreverent and just kind of goofy and a crazy lark especially help the uh, three and the Mitz Musketeers and the Four Musketeers are both really like these irreverent kind of body comedies most of the time. And then with some swashbuckling, I almost think like he might have been like doing a lot of this kind of stuff, especially this ending, as just kind of like that same kind of irreverent sense of humor that he has. 
Do you think that Lester shot it, though? Because it doesn't make any sense for this to be in the Donner cut. That's a, if, that's a good point. <laughs> if Lester shot it. Yeah, I don't know then. <laughs> he certainly wouldn't have left it in there. No, huh. because it, it ends like there's, there is there is an ending in the Donner. Like, this is kind of tacked on. Like, it, like I said, to the point that, because it had been a while, I did not remember these scenes from the Lester cut. And I'm like, what a fucking weird addition. Yeah. To these movies, it doesn't make any sense for this to be to be, right be Lester. I mean, I could be wrong. I did not look it up on a scene by scene basis, but yeah. having just watched it, where it falls, what happens before it, like I, I don't think that Donner would have approved his cut with like the last scene being of the movie being Richard Lester. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, it, it's it might be one of those situations where like at least that clearly is I think it's like one of those things where it seems like it should be a Decker or a Lester edition but you're probably right that if it's in the Donner cut it doesn't really need to be this particular no. scene so there's I mean it must be him so I th- I think that's Superman too does anyone have any um, final thoughts little things that we miss that is worth talking about I'll just say one thing. Um, the, the one note that I have is that, uh, first of all, it is super frustrating, as always in these movies, where they just have to have one or two gay panic jokes. There's <laughs> that scene where they're talking to the space station, and he's like, yeah, I got so bored up here, I got engaged to Charlie, or whatever. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> no, just just kidding. And it, which is just, ha, just a, just a quick joke, laughing at the concept of love between two men. Okay, on with the show. Like, there's there's no point in it, except just completely unnecessary laughing at yeah. people uh which is which is which is also in the donner cut so i don't know um i don't know who that was but it's super mean and unnecessary and again uh we talk about sometimes that going back to these movies even something like a superman movie it's like oh just a random gay panic joke great but but overall like i said i, I actually remember i i said early on that i was worried that i was going to talk very negatively about this movie because there were some negative parts that were fresh on my mind. I don't think I really did because this is a really great movie. Um, it has some problems with uh, the second half of the movie with the relationship, how badly they sideline Margot Kidder, both um, both in the actual movie and as her character in relation and in, in her relationship to Superman. The amnesia kiss is rightfully made fun of. And Superman really has some petty issues to work through. But overall, I mean, this is this isn't on par with the first one, but uh, it's a lot of fun and really one of the better sequels from this era of filmmaking. I think it's probably one of my favorite superhero movies. It's in my top two hundred movies. I know that. I think it's my, my my favorite take on the character on film, just because it really does deal with how and what in its own way why he's Superman and what it means to be Superman. And it is, like I said, also a very slapstick, goofy comedy at times, or more screwball comedy, I guess. And I like that it is kind of positioned between those, like this kind of serious examination of Superman's role and zany comedy. I, I agree. The The fact that it is a outright comedy is really charming in a age where a lot of superhero movies are a little dour or have a lot of like... Um, they're afraid to be be silly like they'll they'll have jokes inserted to add some levity but the actual physical way that fights are structured leaves no room for goofiness and stuff like that the movie's just a a a pleasure to watch um but i have a lot of problems with the way it's structured and a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's just a compromised vision 
no matter who which director's cut you prefer. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. More more silly elements in movie would be great. Let's start a change that org position yeah. for more yeah. bumbling southern uh, sheriffs back into movies. Oh yeah, because they were everywhere in the seventies and eighties. Like um, they even made it in Bond movies. So. Yep. It's like one of the only recurring characters in Bond movies is a racist Southern sheriff. <laughs> well, we can we can do without the racism. Let's just make them bumbling. So thank you so much for joining us. This was the last week. We didn't even mention that this is our alien reinvasion month, and now it's over. Ah. It's okay. That's part that's part of our show is forgetting to mention important details <laughs> the audience might be interested in. So thank you so much for joining us for that. We're, I think we're also going to um, do a little bit better about maybe not announcing like every – every next episode on these shows at the end because it, you know i was thinking about it. it is really weird to just be like hey here's the next nine episodes we're doing every single week that ninth episode gets a lot of play um <laughs> but uh i think that speaks to a little bit about how excited peter and i are about a lot of the shows that are um coming up as a matter of fact we uh we are now booked out for our plans until uh the end of october which is pretty crazy we basically have this is episode 16, and we are booked through episode 30 with episodes we're going to do and guests and things of that nature because we have so much fun stuff coming up, whether it's theme months or guests or specific titles that we're excited to talk about. So I think sometimes we get a little carried away with wanting to share those with you. So so just quickly, uh, yeah, starting next month, August, we are doing Killbillies, which is redneck horror. Next week, we'll be talking uh, we have guest Connor Malcolm Crockford on, and we're going to be talking about Motel Hell, a movie I haven't seen, uh, and Peter has, and really recommended it for the show. And then the following week, we'll be doing the 1980 movie Mother's Day, which uh, is on Amazon Prime, and neither Peter and I uh, have seen, but it it seems to be right up the theme of our month's alley. Yeah, so we're on uh, Twitter at WLTWpod. And we're at Facebook at we love to, at facebook.com slash we love to watch. Um, but the easiest place to find all of our stuff is uh, WLTWpodcast.com. Yeah, and we are on iTunes, Stitcher, um, TuneIn, Podcastorama, um, SoundCloud, the radio sometimes. I, some of those are real. Yeah, if it sounds <laughs> real to you. Room, uh, NPR, sometimes we're on the radio. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you might dream about us. Um, that's not an official episode though, so don't don't rate or review us based on the dream that you had about our episode. It's but speaking canon. of which, if you if you do like our show, please go to iTunes, rate and review us. Um, it's a it's an easy uh, way to support this show uh, because the more ratings and reviews we have, the higher up it goes on the old iTunes charts, and they are the. Uh, the monopoly magnets of the pod of the podcasting game. So, uh, yeah, if you do like what we're doing, uh, and you, f you have a couple minutes of your time, we really would appreciate uh, going on iTunes and rate and reviewing us. So, uh, so thank you so much for joining us again, Zach. And we, uh, thank you. we are going to be having you on again soon. Uh, as, as we mentioned before, as payment for all the lovely artwork that you do for us. And also because fleeing the studio midway through or not, you are a fantastic guest. And we always <laughs> like having you on. So thank you so much, everyone. We'll see you next month for Killbillies. Someone else could say something if they wanted. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you very much, everyone, for uh, coming, for listening to the show. And, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to uh, exploring redneck horror with you next month. Yeah, that was the creepiest way you could have ever said that. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for coming on the show, Zach. Have a good night, everyone. They are still 